You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lusko, along with your host, James Rapine. As always, I like to give you guys some reminders on weekend mailbag days to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Jake underscore NFL. You can find James at James Rapine. You can find the podcast, which you need to find if you want to submit your questions for the mailbag at Lockdown Bengals. Now, you might have noticed that I said it's mailbag day, and it is. We're taking a one-day break, I think, from the Brian Callahan interview. That will be back early next week. But we did want to keep the mailbag on the calendar. It's something that James and I both really like. It's a way for us to get questions from you. What's on your mind? And some of you even asked about the Brian Callahan conversation. So we'll talk about those questions too. And we'll finish up that interview with Callahan next week. Before we get to the mailbag though, James, I want to talk a little bit about contract structure. Paul Dander Jr. over at The Athletic put together a really cool tool where you can download a Google sheet or an Excel spreadsheet and kind of go through your own offseason playing within the purported confines of the Bengals cap. And there are some, some issues that I think make the contract obligations, the cap obligations a little bit inflated in Paul's tool. But that all brings me back to, let's talk about the way the Bengals structure contracts. Historically, I went and looked at extensions today because I was looking at Paul's tool and the year one cap hit for extensions for Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard was 15 and $11 million respectively. If you look at Joe Mixon's extension, their most recent big extension, the, the year one cap hit only changed in so far as the prorated signing bonus of that deal comes into the current salary cap year. So if the Bengals were to extend Jesse Bates for four years and say it's like a $60 million contract with a $20 million signing bonus, the only thing that's increasing in the 2021 cap is that signing bonus that's divided by five because it gets prorated over the four new years and the current year. So that $4 million comes into this year's cap hit. In the past though, James, What concerns me and something that I'm going to be looking at if the Bengals do go down the extension path this offseason is they have a history with Geno Atkins, with Carlos Dunlap, with Andy Dalton, and, and even with Tyler Boyd of taking that last year of that rookie deal and actually putting some of the money from the new deal into that original contract that they don't have to. So they, for example, will give a couple million dollars of, of uh, roster bonus money in, in that year, or they would increase base salary, maybe put in some workout bonuses, and all of those lead to bigger cap hits on the last year of that rookie deal, which decreases your current year cap flexibility, but does buy you the advantage of the future years on that deal having less dollars attached to them. So it does buy you some future flexibility. However, The Bengals cannot afford to do that this year with a one-year depreciation of that cap. Their advantage this offseason, as much as it's about Joe Burrow and building a culture and trying to get free agents in, it's that they have cap space. 
that they have 36, $37 million of cap room, maybe more if they make moves that we would suggest, right? And that gives them the edge over a lot of the league. And so, yeah, I'm all on board for a Jesse Bates extension, maybe even a Sam Hubbard extension if the numbers are right. But you, you can't do that. I get kicking the the can or, or, or taking a bigger hit now to alleviate the, the pressure down the line in the past. It makes sense. But the cap was supposed to be $210 million this year. Instead, it's going to be at least 180, probably around 180. The Bengals have an edge over a lot of these teams. And so extending Bates, I'm all for it. But you can't swallow the, the tough pill now to make it easier later. It's got to be, hey, we're going to kick the can down the line. We're going to try to do as many things as we can under this current cap that maybe benefits us down the line. And yeah, that Bates contract might be a little more hefty than normal, but that's what we're going to have to do. So hopefully they do adjust because if not, you want to extend Jesse Bates, keep Carl Lawson, keep William Jackson. Well, that, then that can you know eat away at the cap a lot really quickly. If they're creative in what they do and, and deviate from that, then they, they could have plenty of flexibility and sign a lot of these players that we talk about. It's not even necessarily creativity. I mean, it is maybe for them, but for them, for them. <laughs> yeah. So, so other teams, I think this is common practice, right? Like this year, you're going to see a lot of teams trying to put as much cap hit in the future. And I've talked about this a lot and a lot of cash spend if they can afford it right now. And that's what we're going to have to see with teams. I talked about this on Locked On NFL yesterday. We're going to have to see what teams are willing to, with a lower revenue, spend more money and, and not just spend less because they have less money on hand. All these teams can afford it, but they're all operating with the amounts that they want to float and the profit goals they have and the, the, the owner you know income that they prioritize. So for the Bengals right now, though, you're 100% right. They've got cap space this year and they can maximize that cap space this year. And and the cap is going to go back up. So say they they try to minimize their cap hits this year with those extensions and they try to do some stuff like they did with Trey Waynes and DJ Reader and they and they try to have smaller year 1 hits and the year 2 cap hit because the base salary goes up also goes up. The the great thing is is that you know the cap is coming back probably in a big way in 2022. And if you can get those long-term deals done, assuming players don't just opt for one-year deals because of the weird cap stuff this offseason, you're, you're in fine shape in the future, even by kicking the can down the road because the cap is going to keep going up. NFL revenues are going to keep going up. And barring another pandemic, which I guess is something that teams have in the back of their mind now, you're not actually mortgaging your future by going in this year. It's just a matter of spending more cash right now. And, and so... If the Bengals are willing to do that, I went on over the cap today. They have a calculator. I extended Sam Hubbard. I extended Jesse Bates. I re-signed William Jackson. I re-signed Carl Lawson. I got all of that done. And with some cuts, just the the same three cuts we've always talked about, Geno Atkins post-June 1, uh, Bobby Hart, BJ Finney, still $31 million of cap space, which is, is more than enough. If, if they push some of those cap hits into the future to still go out and be aggressive with unrestricted free agents from other teams. And if they follow that model and not their, not their traditional, not their historical model of 
general conser- uh, conservatism, I guess, trying to trying to save money in the future, then they can have a big offseason and really turn things around. And the, the Atkins thing is another, I'll call it creative, but it's just something the Bengals don't do. The post-June 1, it basically takes $2.6 million of his cap hit if they cut him and pushes it to 2022. To me, in this year, this model, that makes complete sense because you're working under stricter conditions and, and restrictions that you're not going to have next year. Pandemic or, or not, I don't know what's going to happen. I would be shocked if the cap in 2022 isn't higher than 2021. It's just, it's going to be. There's there's uh, no real scenario in my mind, barring something crazy and unforeseen, where that isn't the case. So kicking the can down the line with a guy like Atkins, I, I think that makes sense. And I'm glad you point that out because I think there are a lot of fans just conditioned to assume that they're not going to be able to do things, and they can. The space is there, the... And, and actually, we shouldn't call it creativity because it's acting like they're reinventing the wheel. They don't have to reinvent the wheel here at all. And they can still have plenty of space to keep their good players and go out and re-sign some studs or, or sign some studs, excuse me, that, that really bolster their roster. And let's be honest here, Jake. It's Joe Burrow's rookie contract. Pandemic or not, you have to be aggressive here. And, and that's what wins in the NFL. And you have a quarterback on the cheap. you, you got to build around him and be aggressive and push your limits. You're absolutely right, James. When you have the quarterback rookie deal, it's a massive advantage. You've got to play that up as much as you can in the next three years because this is how you build your roster for Joe Burrow. Last point I want to talk about here. You're right. I'm glad you you've walked back the creativity bit because if I can figure it out, I sure as hell hope that an NFL front office can figure it out. Coming up next, the mailbag. We talk about it all the time here on Locked on Bengals. Built Bars are the number one protein bar on the planet. I just had my mint brownie today. Yesterday, I had two of those bad boys. They're amazing because they're stacked and packed with protein, low in sugar. And right now, Built Bar is having a flash sale for the coconut puff bar. You got to try these out. Luscious chocolate with soft marshmallow. They're made with premium collagen protein blend, 16 grams of protein, just 130 calories, only six grams of sugar. They're gluten-free, preservative-free, and they're on sale for a limited time only. Check them out right now, builtbar.com. Make sure you use the promo code locked on at checkout. Take advantage of the flash sale this Friday only. It's the Coconut Puff Bar at builtbar.com. It's time for the weekend mailbag, James. And I, I think we need like a sound effect. I want to get some trumpets going for the weekend mailbag, you know, like trumpeting it in. Yeah, you can do that every week to start the weekend mailbag. Our, our first question, I thought I thought Joe Goodberry was going to send us a question here, James, but it's just a gif. And it says he has a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? And I don't really, I don't know, Joe. I can't answer that question. How dare me take his spot on lockdown Bengals? I just snatched it from him. He didn't willingly leave. I stole it. (laughs) Joe. (laughs) Yep. That's what happened. It's not true at all. (laughs) So we're lying on the first question of the mailbag. Oh, brutal. No one's going to trust us. (laughs) The, The first real question here, James, comes from our friend Greg Borchers. Welcome back to the mailbag, Greg. After hearing Brian Callahan describe the ideal tackle, is it safe to assume 
that we can scratch Rashawn Slater from the tackle list for the Bengals? I wouldn't assume that, right? And here's what I would say. Nothing that Brian said would make me say that, and I get what you're saying, that the big body, the AFC North, all of those things. I don't think he was really giving us anything we didn't already know, knowing the Bengals. Here's what I will say, and, and I've, I've said this about Slater a couple times now. I would be shocked if the Bengals pick him at five. I've seen a lot of people say, Sewer Slater, and they're just offensive line, offensive line. you got to keep the quarterback upright. And I love the logic, right? you got to add to the offensive line. If Sewell's not there, I don't think it's going to be a tackle at five. Now, do they trade down and, you know, a Slater potentially in play there? Yeah, maybe. But maybe that's Darisol. Maybe that's one of these other guys, right, that they they could like better. So I'm not completely crossing him off um, from the Bengals in general, Greg, but I, I do think – that it would be a a big surprise to me, at least, if they picked him with the fifth pick. And we don't know what he's going to measure in at yet. We'll have to see if he's at one of these regional combines or what he measures at, at Northwestern's Pro Day. Because if he comes in at like 315 and he happens to have 34-inch arms, which I, looking at tape, don't think either of those things are necessarily going to be the case. But I guess we haven't seen him in a year. Maybe he had a little growth spurt, you know? Um, if those are the case, then, then I would say that maybe he is still in, in consideration, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily scratch him off the list, but I would say that I think it is unlikely that the Bengals view Rashawn Slater as a tackle. And, and I think that it's mostly because Jonah Williams is already on the team. I think if, if Jonah weren't there, and they had like a prototypical size tackle on the other side, then you would look at Slater and, and you probably think, yeah, you can definitely win with that. And the Bengals probably would be picking like 10th instead of fifth. And I'm thinking about when they picked Jonah Williams. Sure. And then, you know, maybe it starts to make a little bit more sense, but I think that they probably will not see Rashawn Slater as a tackle pending measurements, just, just based on what it looks like he's going to measure at. And I think that also goes for uh, the Cincinnati kid, Hudson, with with just 33 or low 33-inch arms. I'm not sure they're going to see him as a tackle either, even as a developmental prospect as he is. Sure. And, and you know, who knows with Hudson? And it's okay taking a guard, right? If he's there in the third round and you think he's going to transition a guard. It's a whole other thing if you're taking Slater at five. It's a value thing, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, next question comes from Ryan Kaufman, and it's a, a two-parter. He says, listening to Brian Callahan's answer about the offensive line, do you believe that they think they have fixed their offensive line with just a good coach? If yes, then why the hell did they not address this sooner? If it's not talent at the line, it's the coaching. Follow that up by asking, what does that say about Zach's ability to properly manage his coaching staff? So I'm just going to answer the first part of this, I guess, to start. I do not believe they think they have fixed their offensive line. I think that they're very aware of the fact that they need to get better on the offensive line. And maybe this part of the talk with Brian Callahan isn't out yet. I don't think it is actually. I think when we got into the offensive line, this is going to be what's coming up next week. So there's a teaser for you. I think that what he told us tells me that, that they know they're not satisfied there. And it kind of gives some insight into how things kind of got to the point they got to. I think that they really like 
Frank Pollock to help them improve some technique and teach some technique and coach up some young guys. I think they do believe that they didn't have the right coach in the building. I, I also think that it's it's not just that. I think that part of Frank Pollock's hiring is that they do want to go more to the wide zone that you heard Callahan talk about on yesterday's show. Part of it's technique. And, and part of it is, you know, they know that the personnel isn't good enough. I think they know that. And I, I don't hear those same sort of signals that we did last year. There, there's, there's no smoke. Last year at this time, we were saying over and over, I think the Bengals think their offensive line is fine. I don't think that this year. And you're right. They haven't given any indicator about that. And I think the, the key here is Frank Pollock is, and I know he was here in 2018. He's got a good bond with Joe Mixon and he's coached some of these guys. He doesn't look at it as, well, these are my guys. He's coming in looking at this objectively. And not, not that you don't, but he's going to come in and look at it objectively and say, oh, man, this is an issue. This was an issue. This guy isn't good enough. We need to upgrade here. This is what we should do. And, and just have a, a completely fresh set of eyes that Jim Turner didn't have. But let's call it what it is. The Bengals got it wrong. After one season, they should have canned Jim Turner and went and got Bill Callahan. And they didn't do it. And they had the chance to potentially do it. And they didn't. Zach was loyal. I don't know. Maybe it was as simple as the Bengals organization looked at Turner under contract. Whatever. So they got it wrong. They need to atone for it and make up for it this offseason. And I, I think they're aware of that. First with Pollock. Think about how quick they moved on Pollock. They moved on him quick, man. I mean, it, it seems like it was uh, right after the season ended. It's, it was, what, five weeks ago, four weeks ago when we, Pollock got hired. So I think that's the first step. But that isn't the only step. And whether it's Sewell at five and Tooney, uh, whatever the case is, I, I think that they are going to upgrade the offensive line. And uh, we talk about it a lot with free agency. I think they are going to hopefully be aggressive in free agency as well. They know they need to get better in the trenches. You also heard Callahan say, you know, probably 30 NFL teams need to get better in the offensive line. Not all of them are going to be going for it this year, but it is a zero-sum game in free agency. And, and that does make it challenging, but you hope that they realize we, we talked about some of the advantages, some of the flexibility they have, the, the rookie quarterback deal, and they get it done. And if they don't, I mean, we're all going to be there to rake them over the coals, right? There's also going to be some guys that come up that haven't been released from their teams yet. So that's something that we'll monitor in the future. Next question. Let's talk backup quarterback, James. Mac Johnson at Mac. I believe that's a double underscore Johnson on Twitter. Do you think the backup quarterback position is being overlooked? And if so, do you think they'll roll with Allen, sign a free agent, or look for a late round quarterback? I know you've mocked them a late round quarterback, James. What direction do you think they take? Well, I haven't officially done that. Look at you spoiling it. But I, I did on a couple like PFF mock simulators oh, okay. that only you've seen, Jake. My bad. Look My at bad. you revealing <laughs> some of it. Uh, Sam Ellinger in, uh, from Texas, if he falls to round six or maybe round seven, one of those two seventh round picks, you know, I'm fine with that. Uh, ultimately, like to me, the Bengals are probably keeping Ryan Finley around. I don't think they're going to cut him. He makes like $850,000. They drafted him. They feel good about him going into year three. That doesn't mean he's going to be the backup. But I could see a scenario where they just sign Brandon Allen, and it's Allen who they feel pretty good about, Finley, and, and Burrow. And at the same time, 
if one of these veterans falls to them in free agency and they can get a deal, I, I think they're open to that. And maybe in the draft as well. So I, I think they're probably wide open at the backup quarterback spot with Allen being the most likely guy that they bring back. I think that Allen played pretty well for them down the stretch. And I wouldn't hate it if he's back. I think I've said this a lot of times. I think they're screwed if Burrow goes down regardless. But if it's a couple games, Allen showed you that he can win. I mean, they won. They beat the Steelers with Finley. So so maybe that's speaks to the backup quarterback position a little bit. But you don't I, need to fix anything, Jake. Yeah, they're good to go. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I'm know. Kidding. Does Ryan Finley have practice squad eligibility? I would look into that. I don't want him taking a roster spot is the only thing. But a lot more questions to get to, James. We, we've run out of time for this segment. We'll dive back into the mailbag coming up next. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. I get it. The NFL season's over, but we're talking draft. It's draft season, and there are plenty of prop bets that you can wager on. Will Kyle Pitts go ahead of Jalen Waddell? Will someone like Jamar Chase get drafted ahead of Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith? Heck, will Trevor Lawrence be the number one overall pick? You can wager on all of those things, plus awards, TV shows, NBA, college basketball, reality TV, whatever you can imagine, you can wager on it at Bet Online. And here's the best part. You go to betonline.ag right now, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you're going to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So whether you want to bet on The Bachelor, you want to bet on the NBA or the NFL draft, you can do all of those things at betonline.ag. Be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The weekend mailbag rolls on here on the Locked On Bengals podcast, and all pro Slimmy Bates the third season. That might be the best Twitter name in history, Jake underscore NFL. Anyways, he says LSU versus Bama 2019. You can select five players from that game to be added to the Bengals roster, including ones drafted in 2019. I guess he means 2020 there, but excluding Burrow since he's already a Bengal. Who are the five and why can be done with and without hindsight? Well, with hindsight, I guess that's pretty easy. You take Jedrick Wills, you take Justin Jefferson, you take Jamar Chase, you take Derek Stingley, and maybe one more offensive lineman or one defensive player, maybe. I'm taking Caleb on Chase on. The, the edger, the edge guy. I know he, I know he, I don't think he had a huge year last year. I think it'll be good though. Yeah. That's not a bad pick. You could go, you could go Devin white. Oh, Oh, is that two? No, years he ago? wasn't there. He, yeah. He wasn't. He, that was the, the Burroughs first year at LSU when white was still there. Otherwise white would be the pick I would say. So I think we're in agreement then on wills and Jefferson and mm-hmm. chase. That's, that's a pretty good, Group of three. Those three, I yeah, those three, I definitely agree with. I'm trying to think about Bama though, because B- Bama's got some guys now. I mean, this draft, Christian Barmore would look good in stripes. Xavier McKinney is a guy that you could potentially look at. Heck, Patrick Sertain, right? He was in that game as well. But I- I'm on Caleb on Chase on. He would be my fourth. I think that that would make a lot of sense. And then probably because you already got your receivers, right? Like. You, I mean, the Bengals have, in this scenario, Higgins, Boyd, Jefferson, and who am I missing? Chase. So you don't need Devontae Smith. You don't need Jerry Judy, which is insane because I love Jerry Judy last year. I would probably go with Christian Barmore 
All right. You can do that. I'm going Stingley. And I might go Barmore. I might go Damian Lewis just because I think, you know, he he's probably better than what they have at guard. I feel like that's maybe a disservice. Raekwon Davis was really good last year. Defensive tackle. So if you want to go defensive tackle, Raekwon Davis from Alabama is a guy you could consider. But Derek Stingley is the generational corner in this game who will come out next year. Going to be really fun to see how high he goes in the draft. The next question we have today, James, comes from Dean at DD Merritt on Twitter. He asks about Kyle Pitts, James. Is it a good or bad thing that the Bengals run a lot of 11 personnel and empty? I don't think it impacts Pitts much at all. It, it, let's clear one thing up about Pitts. I think he's it, – it's fair to say he's a willing blocker. There's a reputation that he's just – not willing to block. And I don't think that that's true. I think he's just so great at being a receiver that that's what catches people's eyes and and rightfully so. And so let's go, let's go with that. Let's say they're, they're empty or they're running some 11 personnel. Well, I can line pits up all over. You know, if you want to put him on the line of scrimmage, fine. I don't think that's where he's going to thrive as a rookie. I think you move him around the slot, you line him up outside and you have him beat safeties in corners and in one-on-one coverage which I think he's capable of doing with his size, speed, and athleticism. So I don't think it, it hurts him at all. I think he fits well. What do you think? I think they just need to have a plan. And I think that if you have Kyle Pitts on your team, maybe you do run a little bit more 12. Maybe you do go under center with that wide zone stuff a little bit more. You put Drew Sample on the field with Kyle Pitts and you know you, you use him that way. But I also think that if you're going 11 personnel, you kind of get yourself into a situation where you're going to tip your tip your play. We saw this a little bit with Tyler Eifert when he was in his last year in Cincinnati. When Tyler Eifert was on the field, they were passing the ball a vast majority of the time. You wouldn't want to get yourself into that situation with Sample and Pitts. But I think you can get away with it in 11, especially with how much they go empty. Kyle Pitts is a perfect tight end to go empty with, right? Because when he's out in the slot or out wide, he can still win. He has special route running skills. He has special body control, special catch point traits. He, he has great releases. He's got good athleticism, right? So all these things come together to be a guy that you can put anywhere, really. He's not going to be the best blocker. I mean, he's going to be 21 as a rookie, right? So never going to be the best blocker early in his career, but that could develop and come along. So to me, it doesn't, I agree, James, it doesn't have a huge impact for for the Bengals. The bigger question is, if you draft a guy like Pitts, you need to have a plan to get him involved and use all those special traits right away because you're taking him at five. Anybody you're taking at five should immediately be making your team better. And so if Pitts is a guy, you need a plan to use him so he makes your team better. No doubt, right? You, you got to find a way to get him the ball and he's got to be a focal point of the offense and in any of these guys that they take. Chase, Waddle, you know, if they take an offensive weapon, they're at five. You, you expect to see them early and often as a, a part of the offense. Odat is our next question. At DZE on Twitter asks, I understand why there's a cap and its intention for parity and fiscal risk management, et cetera, but why do you think the league's not granted teams a one-year pass and maintain the 2019 cap level through 2020? I think it all comes down to the collective agreement and revenue sharing. I mean, they could have gotten together. I think they did get together. I think that players wanted to see that cap a little bit higher because when the cap is higher, there's more money for players and the owners were opposed to it because when 
the cap is higher. There's less money for owners. And in a world where there's less revenue, which is what the cap is tied to, the cap is directly tied to league revenue, then owners are going to be opposed to it. So I think, you know, they found a, a compromise and I, don't, I I assume the players probably want it higher. That's why we haven't seen the final number announced. That's why we've seen the floor. I think it was today. We were recording on Thursday. The floor came up to 180. So mm-hmm. things are inching up. It could be 185. It could be 190, depending on this new TV deal. But we haven't seen it finalized because players want to see that number get as high as it can. So I think that their hands were tied to some degree by the collective agreement. And it's not the league that, you know, wants the cap to go higher. It's the players. The owners don't want that, generally speaking. So you're not going to see a, a big push from the league to, to bring that cap up. The last question in our mailbag today, James, comes from Joe Kopke, at Joe Kopke2 on Twitter. What are your thoughts on the Bengals going after Desmond King? Joe has seen posts that he's projected to be targeted by the Bengals, along with Taylor Moten if he's available, Joe Tooney, and another interesting name in Green Bay center, Corey Lindsley. What are your thoughts on the Bengals going after Lindsley or King in free agency? Well, you'd love both, right? And and Lindsley's a guy that would certainly be an upgrade. I just don't think the Bengals are going to be in the center market to this degree. I think they feel pretty good about Trey Hopkins. Maybe they add an interior lineman in the, the mid-rounds, right? We've talked about uh, Humphrey from Oklahoma. That'd be great if you could get him on day two. But I don't think they're going to go out of their way to address center. And Lindsley's going to cost big money. I mean, he's the top center on the market. I think they're going to prioritize guard and potentially tackle, hopefully tackle in my mind. As far as King goes, of course you're open to it. I think there are a lot of nickel corners that the Bengals could grab in free agency. And that's one of those spots where the market, I don't want to say it's flooded, but there are, are a lot of capable guys that you can bring them in and and not pay them a ton specifically this year on a one to two year deal, sort of like what they did with Mackenzie Alexander and feel good about it. So King sign me up. I think it's realistic. Lindsley, not so much. Yeah. I mean, Lindsley's a guy that would make sense if they want to move Trey Hopkins when he comes back or something to that effect. Like they think Trey can be a better guard than what they have. They, they can't get the guards they want for whatever reason. That's where going after Corey Lindsley might make sense. But I, I do think they're going to prioritize other positions. I do think, I agree with you, James, they, they like Trey. I don't know what his injury outlook is, but they like him. So I feel like they think they can survive with Billy Price for a couple games of center if they need to. Hopefully, you know, Trey gets back and is able to work back early in the season. Desmond King, I don't know, man. I mean, it makes sense on paper, I guess. But to me, the the slot corner is lower on the priority list. And I, I guess so the world where Desmond King is a guy you prioritize in free agency. Because I'm going to try to think about that, right? Let's try to think about the ways that it does make sense. Is they think Darius Phillips is an outside corner. They, they trust him to be healthy. They're going to get somebody else to be an outside corner depth piece. Because King really should be playing in the slot. That's where he is very, very good. And if that's the case, then that's where you could justify a little bit of investment in King. But you can get slot corners for so cheap for how important they are. We've seen it the last few years. I, I don't know. I just I wouldn't go big outlay at slot corner. I would I would probably use that money elsewhere. That's just kind of where I'm at on on slot corner generally. I agree with you though. I, I do. I think it's 
one, you're if you're paying William Jackson, and I know that's a big assumption right now, but if you're doing that, you're already paying Trey Waynes. Uh, Darius Phillips has shown to be capable when healthy uh, of moving around a bit. I'm not going to pay. I mean, what's King going to command? Is is it five million? Is it seven million? Because if I can get a guy like Mackenzie Alexander for what was it, four million? Maybe he goes for three million this year, something like that. Someone of that level. I'll just take that, and, and I'm okay with that. And, and the other place, they can draft a corner and, and feel okay about potentially playing him in the nickel. Maybe they'll get the kid from uh, Ohio State that got toasted. What's it, Sean Wade? He got toasted, but he might be able to play in the nickel, and he might fall to the third or fourth round because he had a, a bad year in 2020. So th- there are guys that you can find that can play the nickel. I'm with you there, James. That's going to do it for this week of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hope you guys have a really great weekend. Next time you hear the podcast, we'll have more Brian Callahan for you. We've got a bunch of guests next week, too. Doug Farrar coming on to talk defensive scheme. Anthony Tresh from Pro Football Focus will be joining us as well. We're going to talk about the QB annual and some of those numbers on Joe Burrow in context with him. So Brian Callahan, Anthony, and Doug, we've got a mailbag, a mock draft Monday coming at some point, maybe not on Monday. Going to be a big week. Hope you tune in. Until then, Bengals fans, hootay and have a good one.